Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from July 19th by Pastor Randy titled, Overcoming Temptation. So for the past several weeks, we've been talking about temptation. I know this may seem like the never-ending series, but this is important. The reason that this is so important is because we live in a Christian culture that's just riddled with sin. And so what I'm saying is that in our churches, there are people who are just riddled with sin. Not only is there moral failures, but there's broken relationships. There's just a whole lack of Christian common sense in general. Because we don't know how to handle temptation. We don't know how to deal with it. And so people just give into it time and time and time again. And it just creates this, if I can use the term, sinful Christian culture. Uh, that's what's going on right now. Because when we're talking about living in dark times, it's, it's, yes, there's dark times in the world. But there's dark times inside a lot of churches in their walls because of what's going on. And so that's why this is an important issue. And what we did last week in this series, is we started off looking at Matthew chapter 4, the temptations of Jesus. And what I said was, you'll never experience these temptations. Nobody here is going to be tempted to turn stones into bread. Nobody here is going to be tempted to jump off a high building to prove they're the Son of God. Nobody here is going to be offered the kingdoms of this world. You don't read Matthew chapter 4 and go, this is so helpful. I face these temptations all the time. But what makes us valuable is for us to realize that every time we're tempted, as we talked about last week, every time we're tempted, we need to understand there's always more at stake than we think. Because we think, oh, it's just if I say this, if it's just if I do this, just if I look at that or don't look at that. It's just a, a moment in time in my life. But there's always, always more at stake than we think. To some degree, to some degree, every time you're tempted, your family, your future, your faith is at stake. Now, this is also valuable, Matthew chapter 4, for another reason. Because although we will not face these same temptations that Jesus faced, but pretty much every temptation we do face falls in the same category as these three temptations. And that's what we're going to look at this week and next week. So Matthew chapter 4, let's begin here in the first verse, the first verse. You know, this worked fine a couple. We did double check this, I promise. Well, maybe I turned it off and I need to turn it back on. It could be operator error. Could it be? No, not a chance. There we go. Okay. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that seems pretty harmless, right? Hey, Jesus, you're hungry, aren't you? You're going to eat, aren't you, Jesus? You're not going to be fasting for the rest of your life, are you? You have miraculous power, don't you? Well, why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread? It seems pretty harmless. But Jesus, he says, no, this is just not about me eating. This is just not just about bread. Here's what he says in the next verse. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
what Jesus does, he reaches back to the Old Testament, what we're about to read about in just a couple minutes. He's about to reach back there and grab this, this principle, not more this principle, this spiritual law that we have and bring it into a situation right now. And he's simply saying this. Jesus is simply saying, look, I have physical needs, but I have needs that are greater than my physical need. As demanding as it is for me to eat, I have a more demanding need. And because my body and who I am, I'm more the machine that just needs gas. There's something more that I need. Think of it like this. Whenever we tithe, whenever we tithe, we're saying, God, it all belongs to you. And whenever we're fasting, we're saying, God, I have these needs, these deeper spiritual needs that's going on. So it goes back to the Old Testament. He goes to Deuteronomy. Here's Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So you know the story. They get out of Egypt. They cross over there hungry, and God supplies them manna, these little, you want to just call them flakes uh, uh, of bread that would wind up on the ground. And they would pick these, pick these up, and they would eat this every day for 40 years, every day. So every day for 40 years, they're going and picking up this bread on the ground. And why did that happen? God tells us why it happened. is so they might be reminded that they don't live by bread alone. They have other needs. They have spiritual needs. To make that connection, he was hoping that they would connect the dots. That's what he wanted to do. So he did every day for 40 Can you imagine every day for 40 years? And what God's doing is trying to get them to connect the dots. God's faithful. He can't be trusted. Go get your breakfast. God's faithful. He can't be trusted. Eat your lunch. God's faithful. He can't be trusted. Here's your dinner. God's providing it for you. He's giving you this very basic need that you have so that you realize just as you depend upon him for your physical needs, you have to depend on him for your spiritual needs. You can't live life without God. That's what he's saying. Now, if we try to do that, if we try to live life without God, if we, if we start depending upon Him, something happens. Here's what we read a couple verses later. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep His commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of this place of slavery. What he's saying is that if you get to the point where you have an overabundance of stuff, you're going to think, I did this myself. I can do this myself. And you're just as in danger spiritually to think, I don't need God. I don't have to have a relationship with God. I can do this myself. And then here's what we read. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Now, why does he do this? This, this is a statement here. In order that, in order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. In other words, what he's saying is that he's given you this food every day so that you might remember the most important thing in life is how that relationship with God. Every day he came and gave you this food, 
supplied your needs, your physical needs. All you had to do is go and pick it up so that you might connect the dots and you might remember you have a relationship with God. So important. So important. We have trouble with that. We have trouble remembering that the most important thing in life is not our physical needs. For 40 years, he was trying to teach them that. And he said, you need to be careful because you're going to get tempted to think just like you can do it yourself physically, that you can do it yourself spiritually. See, what could Jesus have said to God as he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights? God, don't you know I'm hungry? God, don't you know I need to eat? How come you're not giving me anything to eat? I think I'll just do it myself. That's what we say to, to ourselves, isn't it? If you won't, if you won't give, fulfill this need for me, God, I'll just go fulfill the need myself. But Jesus realized that there was more at stake than just bread. Instead, he says, Satan, you're tempting me to do a miracle. But really, what's at stake here? It's not bread. It's not food. It's not whether or not I'm going to eat. It's my relationship with God. It's whether or not I'm going to trust God. And Satan, you're not going to steal my faith. He understands what's really going on. But let me ask you this. What needs do you have? What legitimate needs do you have that you're tempted to meet in an illegitimate way? Maybe relationship-wise, maybe financial-wise, maybe just be stuff. What are, what are some things that you may be tempted to meet? In other words, what are you hungry for? What's the area in your life that, that you're hungry for? And you need to realize, what's at stake is not that thing, it's not that person, it's not that relationship. What's at stake is your relationship with God. Because you're liable to think, boy, I need this, I'll just fulfill the need myself. I don't, in other words, what you're saying is, God, I don't really need you. I don't really have to depend upon you. And the minute you stop trusting, then you'll stop obeying and you'll stop believing. It's just a matter of time. And that time between you have this need to the time God fills that need, that's when your faith has the opportunity to grow. So realize what's at stake here. The temptation is that you can do life all by yourself without God. Now tell me, isn't that something people live with all the time? Isn't that something we're tempted to do all the time? To think we can do it ourselves? We don't have to have God. I don't have to have God to, to live my life and have a good life. Yeah, people face that all the time. People in churches face that all the time. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is subtle. Oh, it's subtle. It's so subtle. And people will give in this temptation their entire lives and not realize it. It's a temptation to presume upon God, to think, to think you can live your life as you want and God's just going to come and help you out wherever you need help. Let's go on and read. Verse 5 of Matthew 4. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, well, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. 
Okay, so I don't know if this is some sort of Star Trek moment, you know, and they appear over here, or if they happen to walk to the highest place in the courtyard. I don't know what it was, but they're up there, and Satan says, look, go ahead and just jump off. And and the rabbis had a a, a tradition that said when the Messiah came, that he would jump from the highest point in the car, he would would jump off and finally not hurt himself. So Satan says, hey, why don't you do that? Here, I'll even give you a verse, Jesus. So it says, you won't hurt yourself. And so you have all these religious leaders gather around a courtyard, and they'll look up and go, somebody's up on the high spot. Somebody's up there on the pinnacle. Somebody's up there, we'd say, up on the steeple. And I think I, I think I know. I think that's Jesus. He's about to jump. He's going to jump. I can't believe. He's jumping. I can't look. I can't look. And, you know, he's going to be messed up. But look, he hits the ground and everything. He didn't break anything. He must be the Messiah. Who are you? Are you, are you? Yes, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of the God. And they'll all go, oh, we believe you. We believe you. Now, that's what he's tempting him to do. We do this all the time. It's a temptation to presume upon God. To go, look, Jesus, it says right here in the Bible, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I've got a need, so you need to supply it. And God goes, I guess you got me because you got a verse. I guess I'll have to do it. It's the boys who are riding around on Saturday night, and they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. And one of them says, I hope we don't get busted. And the other one says, it's okay. My father's a lawyer. If we get busted, he'll get us out. Presume, presume, my father has to do something for me. It's the kid in school that doesn't study for his final exam and say, okay, God, you got to help me because I know you don't want me to flunk, so help me on this test. It's the couple that makes stupid financial decision after stupid financial decision. Then they find themselves in financial pressure. So then they start praying, and they get other people to pray, God, please help us through this financial pressure. And they call it stepping out on faith. It's not stepping out on faith. It's just doing stupid things and asking God to to look out for you. It's it's asking God to bail you out. So, when children of Israel, shortly after they come to the Red Sea, now they're up to another temptation because they're thirsty. They need water. And so they got two choices. Choice number one, God, you delivered us out of Egypt. We were slaves. We're not slaves any longer. You delivered us from that. Not only that, but God, second of all, you delivered us from Pharaoh's army. You gave us a way out. We crossed the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army. God, you give us food every day. So we know that you know exactly what's going on with us as far as our thirst is concerned, and we're just going to trust you. That's choice number one. Choice number two, God, we're thirsty. Why haven't you given us water yet? Not in a respectful way, but in a taunting way. Now, what do you suppose they did? Choice number one or choice number two? No guesses? Okay. Somebody's alive out there. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
God, why haven't you given us anything to drink? You lied to us. You said you were going to take care of us, and we need water. Why haven't you given us water? Taunt, taunt, taunt. That's what they're doing. They're trying to force Moses to force God's hand. Another verse. He named the place Messiah and Marabah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord there, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God, aren't you going to do something? You owe us, God. We deserve this, God. And then later on, in Deuteronomy, Moses, when Moses is recalling the events, because Deuteronomy is kind of like a recap of everything that happened, here's how Moses how it was put in Deuteronomy. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him in Messiah. Now, this is what Jesus is referring to. So Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy. And when he's talking with Satan, he says, Satan, I know what you're up to. You're trying to get me to manipulate God. You're trying to get me to, to presume upon God. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I, I'm not going to go there. Do you see how subtle this is? See, as Christians, we're called to cooperate with God, not manipulate Him. And you know those Christians who manipulate God, and they'll do this, they'll try to manipulate God their whole lives. God, I deserve this. God, you need to do this for me. Those are the ones who are always disappointed with God. They're always disappointed. God, can't you say I need this? Why don't you do something? God, don't you think I deserve this? Why don't you do something? And they're always disappointed with God. Versus the one that say, God, I have a need. But you know what? I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to demand that you do something. Demand that you do. I'm going to trust in you. Because my life is all about you. My life is all about you and, and being consumed with your glory. We're here not to manipulate God, but to cooperate with him. To say, God, the answer is yes. I don't even know what you want in my life, but the answer is yes. Because I'm living here for your glory. We've seen people. We've all seen people go through things that you wouldn't wish on anybody else. They wouldn't wish on anybody else. But they go through those things. And, and it's almost as if they sort of just gladly receive that from God's hand. They live through disappointed things. A disappointed uh, events in life, but they're never disappointed with God. Because they're not trying to manipulate God, they're there to cooperate with Him. It's the same thing when you, when you have the saying where you have people that hit rock bottom, then they, they came back to God. That's because they're not trying to manipulate God anymore when they hit rock bottom. God, I'm surrendering everything to you. Well, they don't have anything left. It's just them. But that's when they'll say, and God became real in my life. Why? Because they decided to quit trying to manipulate God and begin to cooperate with Him. Remember Jim and Tammy Baker? Well, some of you do. I got to remember as I get older, these things get... Uh, I got. Anyway, for those of you who never heard of that, they built this huge Christian empire. It all came tumbling down when, when they discovered that, that they'd been doing some wrong things. So Jim winds up in prison. And while in prison, he writes a book. And the title of the book is, I Was Wrong. 
And he talks about how he would go through the Bible and find these promises and say, God, you need to do this. You need to deliver on these promises. And that's the way he lived his life. That was the approach that he had. In other words, he spent his whole life trying to manipulate God, to presume upon God. But then he said, I discovered that's not how it works at all. And he began to cooperate with God and to see things completely different. When things fall apart, how's your response? God, I thought you were a good God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? What, what, what's your response? Let me tell you some things about people who give in to this temptation to presume upon God. Okay? First of all, they don't ever hear from God. Because they're too interested in what they want God to do for them, not what, not what God wants them to do for him. See, those who hear God the loudest are the ones who are most surrendered to Him. And we have a lot of people who just don't get that. They're more interested in their own will for their life than God's will for their life. Secondly, the people who fall in this temptation of trying to manipulate God to presume upon God, they've got, they've got sin in their life. And they think that they think God's okay with it. Oh, everybody else who has sin in their life, yeah, God does something to them, but it's okay. God kind of looks over my stuff. I can still I can still do these things for God, and it's okay if I got sin in my life. <coughs> Ooh, that was bad. Sorry, guys. I remember to cough in my elbow, but I forgot the microphone's right there in my face. The third thing is their prayers. All their prayers is, God, this is what I need you to do for me. All their prayers are trying to manipulate God. Their prayers aren't about surrendering to God. Let me ask you, just take a look at your prayers. Are your prayers about, all about God? Here's what I need you to do. God, I deserve this. God, wants you to do this for me? Or are your prayers about God? I surrender to you. God, whatever you want to bring in my life, I know I can trust you in the midst of it. It's a big difference. A huge difference. This is such a big temptation that Jesus faces it again in his life, at near the end of his life here on earth. Read this. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We sang about this just a while ago. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, if there was ever a time when Jesus needed to cut a deal with God, it was right then in, in that Garden of Gethsemane. So often that's what we do with our lives. We can spend our whole lives trying to, to cut a deal with God. Now, if, I, if I'm writing about being a hero, of having heroes, of Jesus being a hero, I'm not so sure this is something that you want to include. Because, listen, think back what he's saying. Let's think, think of it this way. George Washington. Let's start there. You've probably all seen the picture of George Washington in a snowy field, down off his horse, kneeling down and praying. Seen that picture? Yes. Okay. History books or whatever. Yes. It's a common picture. Have you ever wondered what's he praying? God, we're dependent upon you. God, we need your strength. God, we want you to, to lead us, to guide us. We want you to go before us. 
I kind of think he's praying something like that. I don't think he's praying, God, is there a way out of here? God, I don't want to go this battle. Find me a way out of here. I'll be vice president. I'm fine with that. Just get me a way out of here. See, that's what Jesus is doing, right? God, I don't want this. God, I don't want to go through this. If there's another way, show me. But then he says, Lord, now that you know what I want, tell me what you want. Because I'm not going to say, God, if you do A, I'll do B. God, I'm not going to try and barter with you. I'm not going to try and manipulate you. God, you show me what you want and I'll do it. Because you're not a God that deserves our bartering. You're a God that deserves our surrendering. And when you come to the point in your life where you're ready to say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to say, God, if you do A, I'll do B. God, I just want to be surrendered to you. What do you want me to do? What do you want in my life? It's not going to be, God, I deserve this. God, why don't you make this happen? But when you come to the point where you say, God, I want to live my life for you, that's when you'll stop being a sellout and you'll be sold out for God. And Jesus left that Garden of Gethsemane the same way he left the desert in his first temptation to presume upon God, completely surrendered to him. So let me ask you this question. How are you going to leave here this morning? Are you going to leave here completely surrendered to God? Or are you going to leave here still, God, why would you let this happen? God, you got to do this for me. God, I deserve this. Give in that subtle temptation of trying to manipulate God or presuming upon God. How are you going to leave here this morning? I can do it myself. I don't need God. Or God, I need you more than I need my food, as Job would proclaim. Because see, we face these, the temptations we face fall into these categories. And we'll look at the third one next week. We don't have time to do that this morning. But they'll fall into these categories. It's so easy. It's so easy for us to want to try and manipulate God, to presume upon God, to try and tell God what he has to do and try and put him in a corner rather than surrender to him. It's so easy for us in our state that we're in with, with, with materialism, things everywhere, to think, I could do this myself. I don't need God. I could feed myself. I got enough stuff in my freezer. I got enough stuff in my bank account. I'll be okay. Rather than thinking, God, I need you more than I need my food. God, I'm not spiritually okay without you, and I'm not physically okay without you. I've got to depend upon you. Those are temptations we face all the time. So how are you going to leave here this morning? Surrendered and dependent upon God? Surrendering to Him and what He wants from your life? And th there may be some disappointing things, but all those disappointing things come to your life... You're never disappointed with God, hopefully. Is that where you want to be at? Or do you want to go to your grave blaming God because he didn't do this for you and he didn't do that? It's your choice. If you want to leave here surrendered to him, or if you want to leave here giving in these temptations.
Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.